the relationship between athletes and cannabis has long been decried for its perceived negative association. Thankfully, that misconception is being reshaped as athletes are now experiencing a certain form of liberation, one which has inspired them to move from the shadows and serve as advocates for the medicine that they deem so vital. These stories are worthy of greater attention and will serve to help augment the discourse around medicinal cannabis. The cannabis culture and sport deserves to be celebrated, not maligned. And these conversations will move us in that direction. Welcome to Winning with Cannabis with your host, Bill Bronner. Greetings. Welcome to Winning with Cannabis. This is your host, Bill Bronner. Pleased to note that uh, a guest of ours today is one that might be familiar to many of you hockey fans, none other than Ryan Vandenbush. Ryan is a former NHL hockey player whose career has spanned more than a decade, uh, during which time he played for teams such as the New York Rangers, Chicago Blackhawks, and Pittsburgh Penguins. Ryan. Thanks for having me. So you're in uh, you're in Dover, Ontario now. Is that where you're yeah, at? I'm just a little west of Port Dover, Ontario. Uh, they call the municipality of Norfolk County. Uh, we're about 90 miles southwest of Toronto on the North Shore of Lake Erie. Is that is that your hometown? Is that uh, kind of where your roots are? Pretty much, Norfolk County is my hometown. I grew up in a little town, tobacco town called Delhi, and then uh, I just moved. Uh, south towards the water over the years. <laughs> Suffice to say that young boys growing up in Delhi both back then and, and I'm sure now it's almost a predetermined path that hockey is, you know, being such a central part of the culture is a path most kids are still taking. Pretty much. Registration has gone down somewhat over the years, but we built a program called Sticks and Picks and uh, it's, it's promoting grassroots hockey and music within our community. And uh, so we, um, we're finding ways to get more kids to try the game out at an earlier age and get the, bud and, get the bug and, and uh, register the following year. So it seems to be working lately. That's great. It sounds like a very worthy project um, mm-hmm. to be tackling. So clearly you got the quote-unquote bug, as you said, at a young age and continued. Uh, that bug obviously was you know, left a an fairly uh, extensive imprint in you, um, given your career and youth hockey into professional hockey. If you can, shed some light as to um, how that evolution um, began. And um, yeah. Well, I, I grew up on a farm in, in Lindock, a little hamlet within Norfolk County. And um, my parents registered my brother and I for hockey. And, you know, from from the day I hit the ice, I, I think, um, you know, my, my mom and dad tell me I, I really enjoyed the game. Uh, did I ever think I was going to play in the NHL? No, definitely not. Especially when I was playing minor hockey in Delhi, I was just I enjoyed going to the rink and, and having fun with my teammates and skating. I really enjoyed that part of the game. So you eventually you, you played juniors for a while before you ultimately advanced into uh, into the NHL. Yeah, a lot of kids go out and play AAA, and, and I, I just stayed in my hometown and played well as C hockey. <laughs> And uh, until I was in Bantam age, and then as a 16-year-old, uh, my last year at Bantam, I, I, I left and uh, to go pursue a junior B hockey career. I made a junior B team as a 16-year-old. And so now you're playing with, you know, kids that are, well, not kids, or young adults between the ages of 16 and 21. And so, you know, as a youngster playing with those guys, that was kind of neat and played some junior C that year as well. And then that year I was drafted uh, into the OHL, the Ontario Hockey League, to the Cornwall Royals, who they were at the time, and now the Starnia Sting. 
And um, so I, yeah, I, I, I was a drafted as a 14th round draft pick to the Cornwall Royals, never expected to make the team. And uh, well, I shouldn't say that I went there too ex- to make the team and I, and I did, but uh, you know, usually they, they only pick three or four kids and usually they're in the first three rounds. But I was fortunate enough to make that team. And, and then uh, two years later, I was drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs and uh, turned, turned pro as a 20 year old. So I know that you're renowned, at least during your NHL aspect of your career, um, as kind of this pugilistic warrior. Uh, did, was that ingredient alive and well at a young age? I mean, was Ryan eager to, uh, I guess, exhibit that aggression, you know, in your teens? Or did you kind of grow into that role, um, you know, as you kind of got towards that path into the NHL? Well, as a hockey player growing up, you know, there's no fighting allowed, and I certainly wasn't a fighter. I, I was, uh, I was, I was, a, I was a good skater and good forechecker, and and when body contact came into play, I, I you know, I finished my checks. And uh, as I got older, you know, where fighting was allowed, so as a as, as a 16 year old playing junior B, you're playing with some young adults. You finish your checks on these guys; they don't like it. Uh, you know, a lot of times they came and came after me, and. Um, you know, because maybe uh, I wasn't afraid to fight. Uh, I had an older brother that was 60 months older than me growing up. We had our fair share of fisticuffs, uh, you know, uh, on the ground level. And, um, you know, basically he taught me how to take a beating early. And as I, as I got older and reached puberty, it started turning around. Uh, and then I, I guess, you know, as a 16-year-old playing, fighting against these guys, it, it, I think that helped me a little bit. And, um, you know, before you knew it, I was... I was known as a bit of a, a scrappy kid that could skate, and uh, that's kind of defined me, uh, my, my future moving forward. Good set, good set of talents. Once that certainly lend themselves to to hockey. Um, so your longevity is is pretty impressive because I know enforcer types, if you will, and I hate to categorize um, you know certain players as that, but you know you certainly sometimes are attached to labels, uh, deservedly or not. Um, yep your career seemed to be quite different in that you exhibited a little bit more versatility and, um, you know, had a maybe more balanced game than many and therefore were able to kind of endure uh, the game in that sort of role for a fairly extended period of time. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. Like, you know, I was never going to make it as just a tough guy all alone. I mean, that, that was just not a bonus to, you know, the way I played, you know, as a physical type player, as mentioned, and, I was a good four checker and a good back checker. Uh, you know, coming to the league, turning pro in the uh, mid '90s, uh, early '90s, I guess '93, '94 was my first year pro. Uh, you know, the the role as the goon, so-called, was kind of fading away. You know, teams were taking players that could not only fulfill that role, but also needed to be able to play the game. So there, that was there was a transition going on there, and and obviously now there's a transition on you know taking that element of the game away and uh having four lines that are that could play you know in the top two lines i always thought that usage of the term goon was highly unfortunate <laughs> but i get it I, I guess it uh it applied in some sort of weird way yeah um, well i mean when all you can do is fight and nothing not contribute to anything else i guess you know i, I guess that's what they're labeled so yeah so 
so your, your fighting prowess was on display um, throughout your career. And given the just the inherent violent nature of the sport, you know, injuries are virtually unavoidable. Um, and I know you were beset with a lot of those injury challenges during the course of your career. Did they start to uh, reveal themselves in your kind of in your youth or was it more just the, the, the brutality of the NHL and, and how taxing that is um, on the body? Well, to be honest with you, it was, it's, I had my I suffered my first concussion when I was 14 years of age. Wow. Um, uh, I, I went into the boards head first. It was I don't even I, th I think I tripped or I don't know what happened exactly. I just remember waking up. Uh, about probably 30 seconds after I went into the boards and being carried off the ice and not remembering at all what happened. And uh, so that was my first experience with a concussion. And then um, yeah, my first major junior A training camp in, in 1990, uh, I suffered another severe concussion. And that was just me coming through the middle of the ice with my head down, getting a suicide pass, looking behind me, trying to get the puck. And a uh, smart defenseman stepped up on me and I, slammed right into him. So those are my first two experiences of, of being officially knocked out uh, with a concussion at a pretty early age in my career. So uh, that, that's two of, I'm sorry to weigh in, that's two of 20 overall, correct? Yeah, 20 is, that's a very conservative number. There is zero, well, I guess that might have been reported back then uh, when I was 14. I have a report from my doctor uh, reporting that, but you know, once I turned pro, I, I, I made a point of, I didn't want to keep track of concussions because, uh, you know, if, if you're an owner of a team or a manager of an NHL hockey team and you want a kid like me to play on your team, but you find out that, you know, I'm undersized and on top of that, I'm, I'm prone to concussions, I don't think you'd want to sign me. So if there's, an, if there's a time on the ice where I did get a concussion when I was playing pro hockey, I, I tried to make it like I didn't have one. You know, I, I told the trainers to chalk it up as an upper body injury or a neck strain. I didn't want that on my rap sheet. Right, I'm, I'm sure that's a, a, a fairly typical approach for players to take to conceal injuries, um, you know, just due to the overriding fear that if they were labeled to be injury prone, then your value depletes and your ability to kind of continue what you love is, is reduced. I get it. Yep. Uh, real quick, we have to take a, a brief break, and I want to continue down this course a little bit and uh, move a little bit forward into how you um, ultimately came to discover uh, medical cannabis. Our advertisers are winners. Please check them out during this brief timeout. Candid. Captivating. Compelling. Welcome to Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Welcome got to Cannabis Confidential. Oh, you got me again. All right. Uh, you got me again. Welcome to Cannabis okay. Confidential. Ah! <laughs> hey, we did it. We did it. Cannabis Welcome. I have the coolest guest today. You guys already know. The one and only Tommy Chong. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Cannabis Confidential. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. 
This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or eight years old. You can still learn something that's gonna make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The concierge for better living with Doc Rob. Only on cannabisradio.com. We're back on the field of play with more winning with cannabis. Only on cannabisradio.com. So, Ryan, you indicated before, you know, that the 20 concussion figure is distorted, to say the least, as I'm sure the majority of your concussions weren't necessarily diagnosed as such. And coupled with that, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had roughly 12 major surgeries. Um, Pretty overwhelming, uh, but surprising, sadly, just given the physical nature of the sport. I, I can't help but think, um, and this is probably still the norm today, that the dependency that you developed, um, which has been documented by so many on opioids, happened you know, pretty early on in your career, and you were kind of forced to kind of sustain that appetite for them, just given uh, the fact that you're probably you know, in and out of the hospital um, in a, an alarmingly frequent way. Yeah, it, it, it was. Uh, it wasn't really until later in my career. I was in the Chicago days back then when I started uh, dabbling with the uh, the opioids, the oxycontins, Percocets, Vicodins, Ambien. When was that chronologically, Ryan? That was uh, so. I was traded to Chicago in 1997, 98. So spring of '98, I was traded to Chicago. So it was uh, shortly after that, and I was kind of um, exposed to that. I mean, throughout my whole career, you know, we had shots of cortisone. I had a, you know, a, a strained AC joint where they would shoot it, shoot the joint up with cortisone just to get you through the year. Um, and then, you know, you, you take your anti-inflammatories. And when you're young, the doctor would tell you, you know, make sure you go out to the game and, and eat a good meal and then take them. And, when, you know, when you're young and dumb and don't really listen that well, you, you kind of go out and you're excited. You finish your game. You had a good game. You don't have a couple of beers. Oh, you got to take these anti-inflammatories. You take them and then... You know, an hour or two later, you eat then. And you wake up in the morning with a sore stomach, and you don't really know why. So looking back, you know, uh, if I, I wish I knew now what I, what I didn't know then. And I wish I knew then what I don't know now. And, and uh, it, you know, things would, would be a little bit different. But uh, that's all we can do is educate people now and, and uh, move forward. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 uh, <clears throat> it's kind of an understatement. But, you know, all of those experiences – um, together, obviously, compelled you to forge ahead on a, on a very new, um, a new path, and 
you know, a path towards, uh, you know, assuming a role as, as an advocate for, for cannabis um, globally. Yep. So what, I'm curious, your, your first interaction with cannabis, imagine recreationally happened in your youth like, like so many of us, uh, but in your playing career, uh, was that ever an outlet for you or was it until post-career when um, you had the, uh, you know, you kind of created this bridge into um, a new and interesting world? Uh, I, I always dabbled in cannabis since high school, to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, you, you might as well put in psilocybin mushrooms with that as well. Um, for some reason, I, I don't know why, I, I just, I, I liked it. But as my career, as I got deeper into my career at, in the professional level and getting to the NHL, you, you realize that, you know, they start testing you for this kind of stuff. And, you know, a guy like me, fourth liner, that's easily replaced in the NHL, I had to be extremely careful on what I was putting into my body because I didn't want to go to training camp and, you know, first thing they do is take your blood and they, they test it for, for cannabis. And then I, you know, I'm, I'm suspended or, or have to go to rehab or something like that. And I didn't want any black marks. So I was very careful. I didn't even really drink the last month prior to training camp uh, earlier in my career. And then, um, but during the season, you know, I was exposed to cannabis during the off season. When the season ended, I would, I would come home and I would, you know, dabble in my cannabis. And um, little did I know at the time, it was a, a healing property. There's so many healing properties in it. And and then, you know, fast forward to the end of my career. Uh, I can get into that later if you want. So, yeah, no, that, that's a, that's a perfectly good segue, and we will get into that. Um, that is a, the launch of New Leaf and everything that. Um, and it's come to surround the brand and uh, and your kind of footprint in the canvas world, both domestically and uh, and abroad. But I'm, I'm curious about uh, you know during your NHL days. And I know things have changed quite radically in the sense of punishment. Um, things are extremely lenient now, and as you well know, the NHL is far more permissive than that of any other major sport in our country. That doesn't seem to be the case at all back in the 90s um, during the height of your career, uh, correct? That's correct. And and usage was, um, obviously, I'm sure there's a very secretive element um, back then with players. And obviously, today, there's obviously a, a slightly more growing acceptance um, that, you know, obviously, the NHL commissioner has um, has come to embrace and, you know, the I don't think there's any real penalties that are imposed in today's game, right? Nope, not right now. So what, what I, I imagine you guys were fearful of, of fines and suspensions uh, back yeah. during your career? You know, like I said, I'm, I, I was a, a fringe player, so I, I was easy to replace. So there's, yeah. there's no excuse to go in there and, and, and get bad blood or come into camp out of shape. Something that you can control, you want to be able to control. Other than that, I'm not, I don't worry about anything else. So that was that was my mindset going in there, and uh, you know I control a blood test, so just make sure you have uh, put the right things in your body. <laughs> what was usage like league wide during that time frame? I know it's hard to you know uh, wrap your hands around in, a, in an extremely firm way, but if you were to kind of approximate uh, you know the percentage of NHL players who were actively utilizing cannabis. What would you venture to guess was uh, 
was a safe percentage back then because from what I gather now, all, all the research I've done, it's it's quite considerable. <clears throat> well, I think it's more considerable now than it was back then um, uh, because cannabis stayed in your system for 30 days, right? So mm-hmm. I, there was a small number of players uh, doing cannabis on a regular basis during my early playing days in the you know, mid-90s, early 90s. Um, uh, well, I, I don't know. I, I would say, you know, uh, five, 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 ten percent of your team are probably dabbling in it throughout the year. I wouldn't say they're regular users by no means. I would, but I would, and during my playing career too, I, I would think there was uh, the percentage would be higher with regards to harder drugs like cocaine because you learn that cocaine is only in your system for about two days. So that that's a more of a frequently used drug from my experience in my professional hockey career, at, uh, which is sad because, you know, I, I, it's just, you got, you got a natural plant versus a synthetic scary drug like cocaine. And, and when, when that's more prevalent than marijuana, that's, that's, that's not right. So I think that has reversed itself. I'm not in a league anymore, so I can't speak. I don't speak to enough players to, to find out, you know, what they're into nowadays, but I, I do understand that CBD is being used by the majority of the players as well as cannabis. So that's good news. Encouraging without question. You know, thankfully over the last 20 years, it's been, um, you know, a, a heightened level of awareness and with that kind of a softening of, of public perception. And um, yeah, I know back during that particular time frame, because, you know, you and I are essentially contemporaries. I'm, I'm 45, how old are, how old are you, Ryan? I'm, I'm turning 48 at the end of this month. Oh, so we're quite close. I feel yeah. like we've, um, you know, just it's kind of a marked departure in terms of the era that we live in now versus the you know heightened sense of fear that we had to struggle with as cannabis users back during that time period. Um, yeah, and, I, I had this. Uh, I have this image in my head back then in the 80s when Reagan was president. Uh, Here's your here's your brain. And they showed a nice fresh egg, and here's your brain on drugs. And they dropped the egg into a hot frying pan. <laughs> that was that scared you. It did, and that that was a searing image, um, one that had a lasting effect. And um, dare I say, it was an effective campaign, as as grotesque and uh, factually unsound as it was. It um, you know it, it, it created this sort of reefer badness type of reaction that um, you know that stagnated any progress within uh, in terms of you know reform of mar- or medical marijuana laws um, both here and in Canada. So speaking of Canada, you guys obviously have opened up the floodgates and the industry is beginning to thrive. You seem to have been uh, you know kind of a brash upstart back well before legalization uh, back around what roughly 2012 2013 you kind of saw the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel and decided to um, take a plunge into the industry and submitted um, a an application to health canada and acquired a 64 acre farm and started to implement your vision so tell me how did that come to pass and what has transpired between that time to now yeah, well, there's there's a lot actually. Um, so you know, I played my last uh, professional hockey game in January 2007 um, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and then on my way back 
driving from there with our two young kids that we had at the time and our dog and our cat wife and we decided to get our, our real estate license so uh, by that summer august 2007 we both got our real estate license and that's that was a new career we transitioned that right away fast forward to 2009 the summer of 2009 i was introduced to cannabis for medical purposes i was told that i could get my license and grow my own cannabis for medical purposes and i was like what i don't i don't get that so i looked it up did my own research did my, did my own due diligence and uh, found out that you could i put my application in late late um uh, late 2009 and then i was i received my license to grow medical cannabis with a designated grower because i had no idea how to grow cannabis so my friends screwed around home outdoors, but this was indoors. And so I found a grower and, and I parked my license there. And I got into the cannabis space back in 2010. Um, really Hate to cut you short, but before you elaborate, we have to take a real brief commercial break. And then I want to dive back into it and fill out the conversation further. Our advertisers are winners. Please check them out during this brief timeout. Trends and technology, processes and products. We cover these areas and more on the cutting edge of cannabis. Be informed from the latest initiators of new innovation. Learn about the latest breakthroughs and best practices in the cannabis and hemp industries. Better products, better infrastructure, and better sustainability. The cutting edge of cannabis. Consulted by the American Cannabis Company. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Dazed and infused. Join sugar industry expert Latham Woodward for a happier hour each week for a lively and often hilarious discussion on the infusion of cannabis into food, beverages, and life. Explore exciting new culinary landscape trends with fascinating friends and guests who are leading the industry into the uncharted mainstream. Discover curated menus, enhanced cocktails, and live tastings. Life's a little sweeter here on Dazed and Infused. We're back on the field of play with more Winning with Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. So, Ryan, you were in the process of setting the stage for how New Leaf came to be. Can you please proceed a little bit further down that path? And um, Yeah. You know. So that's how I got my foot in the door is I was introduced to cannabis for medical purposes, and I, I never realized how many healing properties were in the drug. So the more research I did once I had my MMAR license, medical marijuana access uh, regulations uh, license. I just believed in the medicine more and more. And by 2012, I, was, I transitioned completely off of my opiates that I was on from my playing days still. And, uh, and I use cannabis uh, as medicine now. And it, it was, it would help me a lot. So 2012, I, I said to myself, I want to do this uh, on my own, and I purchased my own. My uh, I, I went and rented a farm, the one that I, just, that I own now, and I rented that farm and and uh, brought in a, 
another grower and, and a few more licenses. And then I applied for my application to Health Canada. Um, and then um, and I officially bought my farm in 2017. And here we are now, uh, we're setting up operations in Canada and Jamaica to grow cannabis, uh, probably on a, you know, somewhat of a smaller scale, but we're also growing hemp. We got a, a hemp farmers corporation uh, going on here in Canada and in Jamaica. So uh, we will be licensed uh, in Canada in this year for, we already have our hemp license, but we want to be able to process it and extract it and turn it into medicine and share it with the world. I'm, I'm really curious as to how you expanded your footprint in Jamaica. And forgive my ignorance uh, before I answer that question. If you can share with both me and our listeners, what is the, the current state of affairs surrounding legalization in Jamaica? Is it um, somewhat still of a gray area or are, are, are you know, the, the, the law is pretty straightforward? It's very much like Canada and Jamaica. And, okay. Um, Yep. So you just need a card to go there and you go into a retail licensed cannabis store and, and you can purchase your cannabis. And uh, so how did I get into Jamaica? Well, a good friend of mine who's a farmer um, did a lot of work in Jamaica on some projects, uh, bringing tunnels to that country back in the early 2000s. Actually, he was doing that since uh, probably the mid 80s. Um, and then he was doing some, some pilot projects, you know, growing vegetables and fruits under the, his high tunnels. And um, he uh, had a lot of connections there in Jamaica, and he figured, you know what, it's going to happen in Jamaica. I might as well start something over there too. So he took a project over there, and, and uh, since we've been in Jamaica, we have a we partnered with a local Jamaican. He's got his retail license to to sell cannabis, and he's got a tier one license where he can grow up to one acre. We just received our tier two license where we can grow up to five acres, and we got our hemp license as well. So. Uh, we also have a, a extraction and processing facility uh, near Montego Bay uh, in the airport, and our goal there is to to process, extract uh, cannabis and hemp, and turn it into oils and distillates, and uh, use it to, for our local market. We're focused on medicinal marijuana, and um, you know, once the export rules come into play, you know, we'll export it to anywhere in the world where they're accepting uh, imports of cannabis and hemp sounds like a very forward-thinking organization you guys are extremely well positioned for um kind of what looms ahead in terms of the uh kind of international cannabis sector um before we change the world bill i think uh, i think cannabis is going to really there's a big paradigm shift here in in the medical industry and and there's a all we want to do is make people feel a little bit better and and know what you put in your body not only just for your, your regular food everyday food but medicine what type of medicine you put in your body do you know where it comes from so everyone should know where their food and where their medicine comes from before you ingest it i couldn't agree with you more um i think you know consumer behavior being what it is today people are you know really relish information um they relish quality they relish purity um and you know they they have a a deep yearning for i think to kind of return back to our roots um, uh, you know, pun intended, yeah. and, you know, begin to, you know, shift away from a, a synthetic world that, you know, sadly we were submerged in for such a long period of time. So, yes, I think the future does bode well. I think there has been, um, 
at a certain level of enlightenment and there's still further awakening that needs to occur um, probably most pronounced in, uh, in in areas of politics where there still is you know friction remains but we've come light years away from the era that we were discussing before back in the mid 90s and you know i for one am very heartened with where things are at knowing full well that you know the journey's not done but we've covered a lot of ground in a short period of time ryan it's, it's changing it's changing fast and with people like you and me and uh, all the other uh, athletes uh, that are advocating for alternative medicine I, I think it's happening fairly fast right now which is great i mean can you imagine if uh, they never banned cannabis and put it on schedule one list back you know 80 something years ago where we would be today with our health and wellness agreed now we uh, you know again those political barriers have stymied growth but they're starting to soften up. They're starting to weaken, and um, you know we've already made uh, you know a, a significant amount of headway in uh, in the majority of states in, in at least in our country. I know Canada is far more progressive, and we hope to be able to model some of the successes that you guys have. Um, you know, you guys have really kind of set a standard. So it's, it's exciting. Um, I, I for one haven't been in Canada in a while, but it's just you know one additional kind of inducement to go visit your country is to be able to um you know share in those sorts of freedoms that don't entirely exist here yeah not federally yet but i think it's coming agreed but before we uh bring the conversation to a close i wanted to touch on something in particular and that is the maybe educational component of of new leaf or i know the other um nonprofit that you were instrumental in establishing uh, athletes for care yeah so that that was um so uh, riley cote he's a, he's a hockey player that played out of pennsylvania i played against him and actually fought him too and uh he he's i have to ask who, who who won those fights oh i don't know they're pretty even i think oh, that's Probably good you can check it out but um, so he, he and a few others uh, founded Athletes for Care. Uh, for, so it was founded by Athletes for Athletes. And then my company, New Leaf, kind of introduced him to Canada. And, you know, our role here is to get more Canadians signed up for Athletes for Care. And the, and the goal is to have them be our advocates and educators and, you know, spokespeople for alternative medicine. And not just cannabis and hemp, but just for, for life in general with regards to what you're putting in your body and sharing our experiences and what, what's, what's working and maybe what's not working and share that with the world and make everyone feel more a little bit more comfortable and learn from our experiences. Terrific. Extremely positive message. Nice way to... Um wrap things up and again i greatly appreciate uh your ability to come on the show and share your story with a larger audience um i tip my cap to you for leading the charge of this new period of reform and um look forward to uh seeing what the future holds for for new leaf awesome well thank you for the interview and it was nice talking to you likewise thanks ryan The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com.
Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.